Echo Dispatch with Jason Lewis. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Echo Dispatch. I am Jason Lewis, court and crime correspondent at the Bournemouth Daily Echo, and for today's interview I've gone outside the realms of my day-to-day reporting brief. A quick thank you to everyone who listened to the first ever episode of the Echo Dispatch, which was with Ryan Howell on crime scene investigation and forensics in Dorset. If you haven't given it a listen yet, it is still available online and it is well worth checking out. Once again, the latest episode took place over a video call, and it was an absolute privilege to speak in depth with the amazing Pip Hare. If you have somehow missed Pip's truly incredible achievements over the winter, Sunrise, the Paul Bay Sailor raced around the world in the historic Vendée Globe solo ocean race. After spending 95 days at sea, the 47-year-old skipper was the first Brit to finish this year's race on February 12th. I began the interview by asking Pip how she's settled back into life, mostly on dry land, since the race. It's really strange, actually. In some ways, it kind of almost feels like the Vendée didn't happen because... You know, I finished the race in France and they had a curfew there. So there weren't so many people around in France. And obviously because of lockdown in the UK, uh, my friends and family weren't able to finish the race with me over there. And then I, I came back to the UK, had this incredible welcome in Paul, which was so unexpected. But then... You know, I went straight back into to lockdown Britain and I went from having all the freedom in the world to go anywhere and do anything I wanted to, you know, what everyone else has been enduring for the whole winter, just being in one place and, and very confined and restricted. And so it has been quite a harsh jolt back into reality. And yeah, like everyone, I think I'm really looking forward to a summer of getting back to some sort of normality. As soon as you finished, obviously you did a lot of rest. I know you spoke to Greg afterwards and you already spoke about what's next for you in terms of challenges. And I saw online you're looking already at 2024. So what's the situation with uh, what the future might hold in terms of your adventures and your sailing? I thought it was really important when I finished this race that I I knew what my plan was going forward. So I had some more ambitions and, and goals and, and because... I've been so focused for two and a half years. The Vendée has been everything. It's been my everything. And so when you kind of take away that that intense thing, um, there's a big hole there. And, and so I wanted to make sure that I filled that hole with something and I knew what I was going to do. And I finished the race having loved it, but also knowing that I could do better I know so much more now. I'm a better sailor now. So I desperately wanted to take that forwards. So objective number one was the Vendée in 2024. And I've been working hard to try and get that off the ground. But in the short term, you know, I want to get out there. I want to do as much sailing as I can. I'm trying to get my fitness back, which has been a bit of a struggle at the moment. And when things allow, you know, I'm really looking forward to spending time with people that I've not given so much time to over the last two and a half years. It must be so important after having two and a half years to balance that because you must need a time to sort of refresh and reset and recover but then also you don't want to let that drag on and be waiting and waiting and waiting. No and I am I'm sort of finding I'm far I haven't actually had any time off since the Vendée which is purposeful because I could see that 
you know, we had this great momentum post-race. People were still talking about it. It was fresh in their minds. Everyone was still feeling good about it. And so I very much understood that was the time to try and move things forwards. So I've thrown all of my energy into trying to get 2024 off the ground. But I do recognise that at some point I need to stop and I need to give myself some time off because... You know, when you've worked that hard, it's the mental toll, I think. You know, physical stuff, you can you can build back quite easily, but it, it, it's the, the mental toll of that much energy and that much push for so long. I do need to, at some point, when I kind of feel like things are going in the right direction, I'd quite like to stop for just maybe one week, maybe two weeks, and just kind of put my life back in order a bit and, and let my brain just... Just give my brain just some time off. It's like, you don't have to think about anything. It's fine. Just relax. <laughs> Definitely fold in the category of a well-earned one or two week break whenever you uh, feel like slowing it in. Looking back, when and how did you sort of first get involved in sailing? And it was it saying you always wanted to do sailing around the world in one of the most daunting challenges imaginable? I really fixated on it when I was in my sort of late teens I grew up in Cambridgeshire, so completely landlocked, and I was lucky enough to have access to sailing from when I was a baby because my grandfather had this old 24-foot wooden boat that he kept on the East Coast. And so as a family, we used to go down and spend time with him and go out sailing on his boat. And then when he died, my parents inherited it. And so we kind of used to sail on the odd weekend and we used to do sort of family holidays sailing. But it wasn't something, you know, if I'd grown up somewhere like Paul, it would have been amazing, you know, having access to the water all the time. But I, I think I, in my late teens, I, I, I think I fully understood what sailing could offer to me as a person. So all the opportunity to travel, to to go to remote places, but also, you know, the the challenge and the adventure and all of these incredible races that were going on and I was reading about them. And I came across the Vendée Globe when I was 17 and I'd started reading a lot of books, every book I could find about ocean racing. But, you know, all the people in these books, they were all about men. All of my heroes were men. And then I read about the Vendée Globe race and, you know, first thought was, wow, this is an incredible race. It is, it's got to be the toughest thing you could possibly imagine. You know, boats, 60-foot boats, one person, non-stop. But then even better than that was the fact that, that women were competing on equal terms with the men. And it was the first time I'd actually read about a woman sailor in those terms. And I just, from that moment, from, you know, the age of 16, 17, I just looked at it and I went, I am going to do that just took me a while. (laughs) What makes sailing, especially ocean racing, so special for you? What was it that you read about? What was it that stood out for you? Suits my mentality. I'm in any sort of sport. I'm on the endurance end of things. I'm an endurance runner, not a sprinter. So the same biking, you know, I have the mentality of just keep on going, never give up, keep going, always believe you can do better, you know, but also it's, I think the just the thought of sailing around the world, you know, the world is such an incredible, enormous place and, and none of us will ever see all of it. But actually, if sailing is your career, 
then you get to see a heck of a lot more than anybody who is land-based as a career. And so that really appealed to me as well. But I think as a sport, it's so progressive. You can never, ever, ever know everything. It's always developing. Boat design's developing. People are going faster. All the technology develops. But also people just keep learning different skills, different ways to do things. And I love that progressive aspect of it as well. How difficult was it to finally say and put it down? I get the sense that times of some things I say, yeah, I want to do this. I've always wanted to do this. And then it might get to the point and you have second thought to actually say to yourself, yes, I'm going to go around the world on my own in a 60 foot boat and not just do it like literally in a race and not just do it once. Now you want to do it again. Is that, it sounds crazy to the, the, the sort of uneducated bit. The first thought that I wanted to do it was the crazy thought because there was no reason why someone like me who lived in Cambridgeshire, who had no experience of an ocean, would decide that it was something that they wanted to do. But it just grasped me. I think the difficult thing for me was actually, it was finding a way to gain the skills and the experience to do it. But also, you know, I, I'm not a particularly confident person. And as a woman in the ocean racing world, I'm in a serious minority. And so the difficult thing for me was actually vocalising that to other people because I just, I thought I would be laughed at or overlooked or people would tell me I couldn't do it. And so, you know, it took me quite a long time to to actually sort of say out loud to anybody, this is something that I want to do. And And of course, you can't do it without actually telling people (laughs) that you want to do it. (laughs) So that that was the hardest bit. Did that spur you on? Potential doubters or people not understanding it potentially? Deep down, was there any sort of motivation from that? I don't think it motivated me particularly. You know, I was very motivated to do it anyway. So I left school when I was 18 and I came down to the South Coast I got an apprenticeship in Warsash at a sailing school and I've had a career in the sailing industry ever since. But all the way along, I have had to fight to be recognised. People have doubted my ability, questioned my ability. You know, I've been overlooked. And I guess, you know, sometimes I did think maybe this isn't for me, maybe this is not going to happen. But... I kept coming back to the fact that I genuinely love my sport. I love my job. I love being on the water. And when I'm out there, I know that I'm good at it. And so I guess what it did was it developed a sort of resolve within me that I would show, I would demonstrate, you know, I would find a way to make things happen on my own. I would open the doors myself. And then I would just demonstrate to people what I was capable of because You can't argue with actions. And actually, the wonderful thing about solo ocean racing is that, you know, it's it's pretty obvious that no one else did it for you. (laughs) It is, you know, there's two things about it. One is that people can't stop you from doing stuff. You know, quite often I would get on a race boat and I wouldn't be allowed to helm. I wouldn't be allowed to trim the main. I wouldn't be allowed to navigate you know, people take things away from you. Whereas if you're solo ocean racing, you do all of those things and you clean the boat and you make the sandwiches, you know, but you do them all. 
And so, you know, that that aspect, no one can stop you. But also, if you do well, it's because of you. It's not because of anybody else. And that's pretty obvious. But equally, if you do badly, you have to, you know, you have to stand up. You have to own it. And I really liked that side of things. It, you know, it takes away people's perception and it, it just makes people look at results. The Echo Dispatch with Jason Lewis. You are listening to the insightful thoughts and experiences of Paul Sailor, Pip Hare. While she was in an isolated bubble racing across the oceans, those of us back in the UK had been asked to stay at home due to the national lockdown, and this led to many people experiencing troubling spells of loneliness and isolation. I asked Pip how her experiences at sea compared, and if she had been able to prepare for it. Yes and no. So I have been solo ocean racing for 12 years now, and it's something that I've progressed through the ranks, I've raced in a lot of classes and races where we had less communication than in the Vendée. So in the Vendée, you know, we had satcoms. We were really, I was on WhatsApp a lot of the time with, you know, my friends and family. I was on my family WhatsApp group, Um, (laughs) which is crazy. But I've done other races where, you know, there is no, there's no external communication allowed at all. So then you really are on your own. And I've learned that I enjoy being on my own. I get completely absorbed in what I'm doing. And so, you know, I don't feel lonely. And I've learned ways of of managing with the stress and the demands myself. And I think, you know, one of the key things to remember about my race is that I chose to be on my own. I chose that isolation. And the key difference there is that other people who were at home, who were shielding, you know, they didn't choose that. That was imposed on them. And so I think, you know, my situation was a lot easier to manage, but also I'm practised at it and I know I like it. But having said that, you know, I had the most incredible support. I've got an awesome shore team who, within the rules, I'm allowed to get help from so they're allowed to give me technical help and medical help but they're not allowed to give me any strategic help any help that would make the boat go faster any advice on weather anything like that so I was actually in contact as much as I wanted to be this is a very basic question I have to ask because it's just interested me what do you do for food like how do you that must be is that what saying is that something you miss when you're out there for so long Yes. So the cooking facilities on the boat are really, really basic. It's it's a jet boil, which is just an aluminium can that you fill with water that has a, a gas burner on the bottom. So you just heat water, that's it. You have a desalinator that turns salt water into fresh water. And then because the boat is super light and you can't load it up with loads of volume of food and stuff, then all of my food was freeze dried. Um, so I just took a whole heap of freeze-dried food. I had a 10-day rolling menu. So that was packed for me by a couple of local volunteers from my sailing club, Millie and Sophie. They spent like a week with my food all over their living room, packing it all into bags for me. And I'd have a day bag. And in that day bag would be all the food I needed to eat in that day. So it would be three freeze-dried meals, two pouches of nut butter and a pack of dried fruit. And that was it for for 95 days. That's all I ate. It was okay. You know, it it did the job. We messed up a bit on my diet. I lost too much weight. and, And that's kind of, I'm having repercussions of that now. But I got a bit bored by the end. But actually, 
you know, it's kind of, it becomes a it's just fuel at the end of the day. It's not comfort. <laughs> was there a first meal you were looking forward to having when you got back on dry land? Yeah, anything. So anything fresh. And, and before we got in, the race organisers said, what do you want for your meal? And my team, <laughs> so my team knew that I love fresh fruit. So they said a whole plate of fresh fruit. And then they got given some, because I'm a, I'm a pescatarian, and they got given some vegetarian options and they chose something like I don't know vegetarian uh, risotto or something and it was almost exactly the same as one of my freeze-dried meals that I've been having for the last 95 days so I sort of hid all of that under a lettuce leaf and scoffed all of the mango and pineapple and kiwis and that was amazing and I touched on briefly earlier some of the amazing moments you had during your race obviously I'm, I'm guessing the finish was a special moment to go through but is there anything else along the way that really stands out because it's quite incredible to fl- flip through the moments because you did a lot of stuff throughout your race and kept us all informed what you're up to but does anything stand out for you I mean it was all incredible like you know I was smiling in pretty much all of my videos because I genuinely genuinely was happy to be out there I think you know when the boat was really going for it I loved those moments. I just loved the power of it. And I loved the fact that I was choosing to go that fast. I was choosing to push that hard. And then you kind of zoom out and you think of the enormity of the situation. You think, wow, I am in one of the most remote places in the world and I'm pushing this boat as hard as I can. And it it just all seems so crazy. And, And sometimes you can't believe it's actually you doing that. And I loved those moments. You know, obviously, I, I, I broke a rudder in the Southern Ocean and that was, oh, that was devastating, frightening, but at the same time, something that we'd really prepared for. And and so, you know, I managed to change this rudder in one of the most remote places in the world on my own in less than ideal conditions. And that was massively intense, but I was so proud to do that. And then, you know, climbing the mast, terrifying absolutely terrifying and then just you know seeing albatross and these amazing hourglass dolphins it's just so much so many different flavors of 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 feeling as well and also takes you back to what you said earlier about what's so special is that you had this ability to literally see so much that sort of reflected me just listening to you there that that what you touched on when i asked you about sailing overall you experienced all of that and more in this one race yeah it's incredible I mean it really is incredible all of it and it just not even not until the last well I mean it just kept being an incredible race until after I'd hit the dock and and was having my my first meal ashore you never really knew what to expect and I learned so much and it kind of almost feels like I can remember every single part of the race yeah I can just I can I can still feel it it was awesome before I touch on what you do away from when you're skippering a boat you touched on about barriers and having to face all these different challenges how far has the sport come in your time involved in it in terms of that not being an issue and how much further does it need to go 
It's a tough question. You know, I think sailing as a sport is incredibly diverse. It can offer so many things to so many people. And and if you look, you know, if you look at a cross section of, of the sailing population, you know, I think when you look at sailing dinghies, then, you know, there's a really good representation of the genders in sailing dinghies. Women, there's mixed crews. Women enjoy sailing, racing as, as much as guys do. There are classes for women, classes for blokes. That seems to work really well. I think we're starting to see more women in keelboat racing now, but they're still pretty underrepresented. But then when you work up towards the ranks of ocean racing, it's no better now than when I started. Women are just massively underrepresented in that sport. There have been some steps to try and encourage more women into this sport. There's the Magenta Project is is globally trying to give sort of more coaching, create more access for women into ocean racing. But in general, there are still a lot of barriers and it's not somewhere that women feel necessarily comfortable. And I I think that's across the board in, in Grand Prix yacht racing as well. You know, you just do not see women on those boats. Yeah, what was amazing about the Vendée Globe race is arguably it's the toughest sailing race in the whole world. And yet this year, six out of the 33 skippers were women. And we didn't feel any different to the guys and they didn't treat us any differently. We were there, we'd earned our place on the line and we were all racing under equal terms and there was no question about it. And I hope that seeing the six of us all on the water with very different campaigns, very different people, very different personalities. I hope that that may help to change the views and outlooks of everybody. And certainly, you know, I I believe that all six of us are going to make an attempt to be back in 2024 and maybe we'll be joined by another two or three women. So, you know, at our level, we do seem to be making a breakthrough, but it's there's still a lot more work to do. And I guess all I would say on that is that It's the job of everybody to understand that people, no matter what they look like, people all have incredible, unique skills that can be beneficial to a team. And it's worth just looking beyond the exterior to understand that diversifying a team can actually make a team a heck of a lot better. 100% 100% I completely agree and you already have been doing this for some time in terms of giving back do you do coaching and how is that for you to do a bit of coaching intuition to tell others improve in a sport that you love so much because it must be nice to be able to see others develop and improve and harness their skills I've always loved that aspect of my job actually it gets it's a I get a really really big kick from watching people learn and develop and and then watching their happiness their joy when they get things right But coaching helps me too, because by watching what other people are doing, by analysing it, by helping them break it down, helping them find ways to improve, then there's always something that I can learn in there. And so I think it's really important for me to keep going back and doing those sorts of things. So I get coached, I go out racing, I coach people. But also, you know, I just sail for the fun of it too. There's Sometimes you just go out for a sail just to go for a sail, and that's quite nice as well. Yes, that beautiful thing I remember from doing studies into sport, the the fear of just play and just going out and enjoying, effectively like leisure, just having fun of what you do. Strip it right back to what is in its purest form is often something that we enjoy the most. Exactly. And just lastly, it's fair to say, and I don't find I'm speaking completely 
in any way out of turn by saying this, but you must be now an inspiration to so many young sailors out there. I'm just picturing someone being interviewed in 20, 30 years, asking how they got involved in sailing. They'll say, I saw Pip Hare complete the Vendée Globe and it really got me a buzz. What does that mean to you? I don't know if that's saying you ever think about, but I don't think that's in any doubt that you must be an inspiration to so many people from what you've achieved and what you continue to do. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I do, you know, I, I just think of myself as, as me, you know, and, and I'm the same as everyone else, really. But I guess, you know, the one thing that I hope through all of this is I, I didn't start doing this seriously making attempt for the Vendée Globe until I was in my mid-30s because there were no opportunities for me and I just couldn't see the way in. I couldn't see how it was done. No one shared, you know, my journey to here. All you ever saw was the perfect finished product. Part of my narrative, part of what I've wanted to share was my journey. You know, how did I make this happen? What challenges have I faced? When have I got it wrong? You know, what what was right? All of those things, because I hope that in some way that might map out for the next person coming up, that might map out a potential pathway. It might give them ideas for how they could make it happen themselves. But equally, you know, initially I was not, I wasn't very confident to, to talk about my age, but I'm 47 years old and I am, you know, doing one of the toughest, toughest endurance sports events in the world. And what I'd really like is that people who are older as well realise that there's always an opportunity to do something new. They belong wherever the heck they, they think they want to go. They just need to have the confidence to, to take the first step and, and go there and be there. So it's kind of, I guess, just sharing an honest story, I, I hope will encourage more people to do more things. That's a truly lovely note to end on, Pip. And uh, I feel like I've almost stumped you there with that last one because there was a pause as you looked at my question for well, how am I going to answer that one? But thank you so much for your time this afternoon. I've absolutely loved it. And I'm sure the, the listeners are going to really enjoy uh, listening to all you've said this afternoon. Thank you. That concludes the second episode of the Echo Dispatch. Thank you for listening in and I hope you found the chat with Pip as interesting as I did. As always, please get in touch with any feedback or interview suggestions for the series by emailing me at jason.lewis at bournemouthecho.co.uk. Thanks again and bye for now. The Echo Dispatch with Jason Lewis.